0: Today on Locked On Knicks, could the Knicks be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference? Sounds a little crazy, but is it? We'll talk about it right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. He infectious. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Fix. First-time users can receive a one hundred percent instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on that's pricepix.com promo code locked on i want to thank you for making locked on nicks your first listen today and every day because that would make you an everydayer and by default i have a ton of them one of my best friends so i really appreciate you tuning in if you want to become an everydayer all you have to do is subscribe on youtube hit that notifications bell so you never ever miss an episode on the video side of things and also subscribe on your favorite audio platform of choice. But who's shilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Rolling solo today to take you through the wild, wild landscape of the Eastern Conference. I did an episode similar to this about a month and a half ago, but I thought it was worth reassessing uh, post-draft, post free agency. Where do the Knicks rank in the Eastern Conference? And is there a world where they can win the Eastern Conference? I thought it would make a lot of sense to start things off um, from the Knicks perspective. And what would have to go right for them to theoretically, at least in the regular season, win the Eastern Conference, which I think is a more attainable goal this year than uh, winning the Eastern Conference in the playoffs and making it to the NBA Finals. But I think the first step would be Um, having a bonafide MVP candidate. You you go over the teams that win conferences. Generally, it's driven by a player that you could reasonably argue is top five to 10 in the NBA. And the Knicks' most obvious candidate for that is, of course, Jalen Brunson. Now, Jalen finished last season averaging 24 points, six assists, three and a half rebounds per game. He was really good, but he did not make an all-star team um, rightfully or wrongfully and did not make an all-NBA team rightfully or wrongfully. So he was... He was more so on the distant uh, periphery of the, is that a word periphery? I'm not sure, um, of those conversations. Uh, and then in the playoffs, he he kind of made a jump, put up 28 points per game. And I, I think there is a lot of meat on the bone for him to have a better regular season than he did a year ago, where again, he was only at 24, six and four. Um, and to me, the the most obvious room for growth that that our friend who, who's going to be coming on in a little bit, uh, Prez highlighted, was that he could really amp up his three-point volume. He took just 4.7 per game last year while shooting just under 42%. So the efficiency was absurdly good. The volume was not. When you compare it to the top scorers in the NBA, let's take a look. Luca puts up eight threes a game. Dame, who led the NBA in scoring for a good chunk of this year, puts up 11 threes per game. Jason Tatum, nine. Donovan Mitchell, nine. Kyrie Irving, eight. Jalen Brown, seven, Lowry Markin, an eight, Julius Randle at far less efficiency, eight three-pointers per game. Um, I I think part of it is a function of his teammates. Can they start getting him easier shots from distance, game in and game out? Um, And I think some improvement from guys like Quentin Grimes um, in terms of his ability to create. Maybe a little bit more time spent with Emmanuel quickly on the court as another guy who can break down a defense uh, could potentially help Uh, some more time with Isaiah Hardenstein, some more time with Josh Hart, some more time with Dante DiVincenzo, just allowing him to play with more creators. Um, RJ Barrett being a more willing passer could get him more catch and shoot threes. Uh, But I think the bulk of the pressure is going to be on Brunson himself. And and if, if there's one thing, Offensively, he is focusing on this offseason beyond just keeping his his already really impressive and and varied skill set sharp. I believe it is his three-point shooting, and it's going to be his ability to uh, do the harden and create like real substantial distance on step backs. Um, It's going to be finding ways to quicken his release from there, to generate more and quicker power, to maybe have a little bit of a faster ball dip, Um, because he is a he's a short player. Like there's no, there's no getting around it. And that makes it really, really difficult even as an excellent three point shooter for him to get them off quickly and maintain that efficiency. Like I, I look at Chris Paul as kind of the quintessential example of this. Like Steve Steve Nash is another good one of guys who had special touch, right? Like like, even amongst NBA players, top like one percentile touch, um, but never were monster scorers. And it was mostly because they were never really comfortable getting up a ton of threes. Like we even saw it this year in Phoenix with Chris Paul, like when he was getting to play late in his career off of Kevin Durant, off of Devin Booker. Like that guy should have been shooting eight threes a game and should have been hitting them based on his career right around that 40 to 42% mark. And he just couldn't do it. I think Brunson has a little bit more pop and a little bit of a quicker release than either of those two guys. And we did like one thing that gives me confidence. We saw him ramp up the volume a little bit. Um, in the NBA playoffs this past year. But I I think there are still some real questions if he can do in the regular season. If he can, I think you're talking about a guy who ascends from, like again, that borderline all-star level, borderline all-NBA level in the regular season to a surefire all-star, maybe surefire all-NBA guy, and someone who is in the MVP conversation. Um, A couple of other guys who... I'm looking to see if they can make jumps and it would determine where the Knicks potentially finish in the Eastern conference. Uh, Quinn Grimes, like look what he did post all-star break 14 points, three rebounds, three assists, got 51% from the field, 45% from three 79% from the foul line. If he can replicate that shooting. And then the other swing factor that I've referenced before on this podcast, but if he can improve his handle just a bit and be a little bit more confident um, in attacking what, Game in and game out is generally going to be the weakest defender on the other team. That could revolutionize the Knicks offense. It's, it's not only going to get Brunson more open shots, it's going to get Julius higher quality looks. It's going to get Mitch an extra lob or two a game and get Hardenstein an extra lob or so a game. And I think that could take an offense that was, again, historically good in the regular season. Sounds weird to say, but that's reality. They were historically good in the regular season and take them to another level. Plus the 45% three point shooting on high volume. I don't think that is sustainable. But I think if he can settle into the middle ground of who he was pre-All-Star break and who he was post-All-Star break, which is, I don't know, like a 39% to a 41% three-point shooter, again, on substantial volume, like you're talking about, again, one of the better three or D players in basketball. You're talking about someone who, again, like as we were hoping last year, he'd make that jump, like turning into a Desmond Bain light in the Eastern Conference. R.J. Barrett, um, it's all about his process, right? Like I, I went back, I looked at his regular season numbers. I looked at his playoff numbers there was not as big of a difference as I expect there to be between the two of them. And that was because to close out the playoffs against the heat, like he had a couple of games, like obviously what was he one for 11 in game six? Like he, he had a few stinkers that brought down the numbers. The things that stood out were the three point shooting, despite again, a few stinkers was pretty substantially better. And the process with him was so much better. And, and to me again, with how efficient so many other guys are on this Knicks team, that's really what you're looking for from RJ. Just good process, moving the ball quick and early. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, I, I think him having a healthier year um, is big. And, and I don't mean that in terms of games missed. Because last year was actually like pretty good for him in that respect. I'm talking about when he's on the court, getting a 100% version of him. Because I think against the Heat, he was on the court for every game. But he just was not quite the same guy he was in that first round series against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that was because like he he just accumulated all these nicks on, on on his lower body, no pun intended there, and you could tell like there were points where he was just limping around and he wasn't moving the same, and and I don't know how much of that is fixable. I think some of that is just his height and and the contact he takes and that he he tends to like move a little bit awkwardly. Um, in certain situations, but I I'm hoping that the Knicks training staff is emphasizing an offseason plan for him where he can be a little bit, a little bit springier, a little bit more flexible, a little bit lighter on his feet in some ways, even, even if there's a small trade-off in terms of the bulk that he's accumulated, like we, we saw him make a step in the right direction last year. If he can take that even a step further, I think that would be great. All right, final starter uh, to go over Julius Randall. Uh, You know, let's let's get into that in just a sec because before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about our friends over at Prize Picks. So the beauty of Prize Picks is you pick two to six players and they go score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to twenty five times your money on any entry. And 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 you're looking at me and you're saying, "All right, Gavin, but like, how is that different than any other daily fantasy? What makes?" prize picks special. Well, first, they offer an incredible deal uh, through lockdown that I'm going to tell you about in just a sec. But My personal favorite part that keeps me coming back every time is that you're not competing against other people. Because we, we got to be honest, guys. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying this in a shaming way, but there are, there are some dudes out there who just don't have a lot going on and are, are in their mom's basement. And, and they have spreadsheets. And you can't compete with that. Like you're, you're just like, if you have any type of a life, you're not going to compete with that. And look, I'm not knocking it. If I, if I had the math brain for it, I would be one of those dudes. Also, if my mom had a basement, which she does not, unfortunately, I'd be one of those dudes. I'd be making millions. But if you're not one of those dudes, the beauty of prize picks is you're just competing against the projections available. And the real beauty of it is you can do it in your sport of choice because it's not only the, the big four of NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, They also offer NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and so much more. And it's fast and easy. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. So go ahead and download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 dollars all right we are back on locked on knicks uh let's talk julius Randle. i think there's a case to be made that he was quite possibly the knicks regular season mvp this past year right um with all the games that he played um with how consistent he was after a really troubling start and yet there are there's are some big question marks mostly that one that's out of his control is that the Knicks don't have a credible backup power forward. And that means if Julius gets hurt, like there's no world, there's no world where if he misses, I don't know, I'm going to say more than like seven games this year, the Knicks are the number one seed because those games, unless the Knicks make a late addition, those games, I think are going to be slogs. They're going to be struggles. There's a world where the Knicks pull some out. They play small ball. They catch a few teams off guard. I don't think it is sustainable Um with those guys as starters. I think it's totally sustainable having Josh Hart and RJ Barrett play some power forward off the bench starters. I think that could be a really big issue. And the other thing with Julius is, is the seesaw effect, right? He sucks one year. He's incredible. The next year, he sucks. The next year he's incredible. The year after Uh, we are due for a bad Julius year. Does he have his mind, right? Um, Is he still going to be like he was last year in like clear cut, the best shape of his career. Um, I think he will be. I think he's gonna have a very similar year, if not maybe even a little bit of a better year than he did last year. But I think it's worth working in some cautious pessimism there. All right, let's let's go through the bench. Um, what will it take for the bench to look like for the Knicks to be the one seed? Manuel quickly he put up 23-5 and 5 on 47% from the field, 40% from three, 85% from the line last year as a starter. When he came off the bench, he was at just 12-4 and 3. from the field, 35% from three, 80% from the line. What does that tell us? Um, He does better with a bigger role. He does better when he gets an opportunity to start, to have the ball in his hands, because he is very much a confidence-based player. He's very much a rhythm-based player. Um, I've advocated earlier this offseason that I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to start Emmanuel quickly, a decent amount of games. Um, I think it is absolutely essential that he plays 30 minutes at a bare minimum every single game with the addition of Dante DiVincenzo. I'm wondering if that is going to happen night in and night out with Emmanuel quickly. And to me, for quickly to be his best, like he is just going to have to have the full trust of tips, like no matter what, like he is similar to Julia, similar to Jalen, like, like we, we always complained about it, right? When Obi was having a great game and Julius was struggling and yet Julius got the right to close. Like, I, I think Emmanuel quickly is everything he brings both offensively and defensively. He's going to need to have that same privilege this year. And then he's going to need to take advantage of it. Like, like the consistency just has to be there this season. It certainly was when he started, but like, regardless of context, like he, he kind of has to meet Tibbs. He has to meet the Knicks for an office in the middle. Like, like there just has to be a great consistency and confidence there from him game to game it's year four it's time for that to to be there in a really solidified way Um, my other big bench notes um, Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo Um, do you get like a chemistry amplification effect do you get a shooting amplification effect with DiVincenzo I I think the defending the the small ball rebounding between those two and and DiVincenzo opening up the floor for Hart to attack one-on-one in the half court um, similar to the way he does in transition, I think are all going to amplify the bench. Um, and then I think Isaiah Hardenstein, like he, he went from regular Goku to super Saiyan Goku um, over the course of the last year, apologies to anyone who, who has no clue what I'm talking about, but that, that is the only reference I could come up with. Or like you could say um, he was a, a Charmander to someone's Charizard uh, for sure. Um, that's, that's also a fair one. Like you can comment uh, better ones you can come up with, but he, he went from a guy where, like, I I like I kind of questioned it a little bit. Like, all right, like I got the passing, was really good, but if he was forced to play Tibbs ball, like was he up for that? And was it a mistake? And it, it just it kind of turned out over the course of the season, it ultimately was not a mistake to sign him. In fact, like he was probably one of the best signings any team made last offseason, non star edition, right? Like take the Jalen Brunsons out of it, like in terms of role players, like. He was up there. He was a menace. Um, there's a case to be made, uh, not in that Cavs series, but overall, like he outplayed Mitchell Robinson down the stretch of the season. Um, he did everything well. He was rebounding like a beast. He was defending the rim exceptionally well. They finally found a middle ground with him being able to orchestrate a little bit from the elbow. Like You get that version of Isaiah Hartenstein. Like, I think that played almost as big of a factor as what Josh Hart brought to this team in terms of the Knicks playing like a 56 win team post all-star break. All right. So how does this all compare to the rest of the Eastern conference? Uh, I'm going to tell you in just a sec on locked on Knicks. All right, let's take a look at the rest of the East. I'm just going to go top to bottom in terms of the teams that I think are the biggest threats, the Boston Celtics. Um, I, I will, I will caveat this. There's, there's three or four teams in here that I would actually be surprised if the Knicks finish ahead of, but I think, I think, the Knicks have a legitimate chance, again, all those best case scenarios play out, or most of them do, that they could finish ahead of. And I think Boston is, is maybe some people will be shocked by this, but I think they are clear cut one of those teams. Look at who the Celtics have invested in. Chris Stapps Porzingis, Malcolm Brogdon, 37 year old Al Horford. Those guys are risky. They're very, very risky. The reason Brogdon was available at such a cheap price is because he is perpetually hurt. He was hurt for Boston. Some of the key moments of their season in the playoffs. Chris Stapps in a contract year. And this is why I was on this pod making a case for the Knicks to go get him. He had absolutely, despite a decline in athleticism from when he was on the Knicks, the dude had a career season. He was awesome attacking closeouts. He was absolutely elite on post-ups. He was trading threes. He was making as good of an impact at the rim defensively as any time, basically since he was on the Knicks. He was really, really, really good. And yet, teams always pay for expecting a performance of a contract year to be replicated and to me the biggest question there is just will he stay healthy because there's a world where he plays and him tatum and brown equals maybe the best offense we've ever seen statistically no i don't think they will be quote unquote the best offense in nba history relative to the rest of the league i think their offensive rating could be the highest ever because joe Missoula is going to have them chuck threes the court is going to be wide open and they're going to be trying to score 135 points every single night. That could go really well, but if there are injuries, they are thinned out with no Marcus Smart, no Grant Williams, their defensive identity that led them to the finals two years ago that they built under Imei Adoka is substantially eroded at this point. I don't know what the culture is going to be like. Um, I think they could have real issues. The Bucks. Another team, I would be surprised, even in the best case scenario for the Knicks, that they have a better record then. Because the Bucs are, they are experienced, they are tough, they are built to win regular season games. The case against them is that this team is old and a little rickety. Drew Holiday, he's in year 15. Brooke Lopez is 35. Chris Middleton is coming off the worst season season. Um, he's had in about a decade and he only played 33 games last year. And even when he got quote unquote, fully healthy in the playoffs did not look quite the same defensively as he has in the past. He's going to be 32. They didn't do a whole lot to replenish their bench. They lost Joe Ingalls. They brought back Jay Crowder. They brought in a couple of rookies who could be good in a few years. And Chris Jackson and uh, sorry, not Chris Jackson, uh, Chris Livington and Andre Jackson jr but not guys who are going to contribute this season. I say that to say they, I think are going to take the regular season really, really easy. They're going to be content being the three seed, being the four seed, being the five seed because they saw what um, being the, uh, were they the one seed this year, right? Weren't they the, the, being the one seed this year, got them. And it was not a whole lot. Um, it, it, it it didn't help. They They got run over by Miami. So I think they are going to prioritize being healthy, being rested for the playoffs. And I think they're going to try as, as Giannis like had a low key, like, like sneaky drop off in terms of his efficiency and his overall level of play last season. Um, part of that was, was due to Middleton being hurt, but I also think part of it was just wear and tear. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep the tread off of all those guys on um, the Miami heat. If they get Dame and they stay healthy, um, they are, most likely going to be a better regular season team than the Knicks. I, I, I could see them being a 55 to 61 team, even with Jimmy Butler only taking 80%, even with them being pretty conservative resting game. I just think that is such a dynamite trio. And you would, again, essentially just be re- like, obviously Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, like losing them hurts. But if you're, if you're basically plugging in uh, Dame for Tyler hero, that is a dramatically, dramatically improved team this season. They don't get Dame. I could see them falling like borderline, probably not out of the playoffs, but again, seven, eight seed territory where they were a year ago, probably going to be where they are again. They are a thinner team than they were last year. And even with Dame, I think they're one injury away from having a lot of issues. If you look at that roster, depending on who they give away to get Dame, like there is, that is all of a sudden, like a team that was so prized for its depth in the playoffs. Unless they pull another miracle, and they 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 tend to with with these undrafted guys, like who knows maybe Jaime Hawkins from day one is like a reliable like regular season performer, but um, I think they could be in deep trouble with an injury. Uh, Philly, I think it's all contingent on how good Tyrese Maxey is. My read on Philly is that they have an expectation that he is going to put together an All NBA type of season, and and if they have to trade Harden or if Harden just declines by 10 15 percent they are going to be able to compensate for that um cleveland i think is going to be a really good regular season team i don't have a lot of confidence in them in the playoffs for obvious reasons i think Struce, though solidifies like what was their biggest weakness last year like having a two-way guy at the three who can shoot and unlike Harris levert isn't going to take away touches from their big four um i, I think they they could they could be doing the same podcast over at Locked on Cavs. Like they, they have a really good argument for saying like, hey, we're going to come out and we're going to kick some butt in the regular season. Um, I, I have very few questions about them as a regular season team. Atlanta is like the last team that I'm going to say could realistically finish better than the Knicks. And I think it's contingent on them swinging a trade for Pascal Siakam, which as of now uh, does not look like it's going to happen. Doesn't seem like Siakam has a lot of interest in that. And we get mixed reports on how interested Masai Ujiri is in doing that um i i think that deal could propel them i think otherwise they are functionally the same team as they were last year i do think uh G- john collins um despite him being a good player to vacuum could be an addition by subtraction just because everyone's roles get clarified a little bit more um and you you would expect um their guard duo of Trey and Dejounte to be a little bit better in year two i don't really take them super seriously as a, as a threat to be better than the Knicks. Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't really believe in Trey Young in that way. He can, he can go ahead and prove me wrong. Um, Toronto, they have no guard play. Uh, their only point guard is Dennis Schroeder. Um, they are a super weird team. I, I think they will be a pain in the butt to play. I, I don't think the record will, will be much better than it was last year, unless they trade for Dame. Uh, and if they trade for Dame, kind of the same thing, as I said about Miami, like they're, they're going to be a 55, 60 win team. If they do it without giving up a lot of um, current talent, um, Chicago. I just don't see where they're substantially better. Orlando. I think they're gonna be interesting. I think they're gonna be feisty. I think the only world where they're like in the same class as the Knicks. Is if Paolo or Franz? Like or Franz, excuse me, makes a leap to be an All NBA type guy. The rest of the teams uh, could be good. Uh, Indiana. I think again, like any given night, could beat a lot of these top teams. Um, I think the whole conference is really good. But in terms of teams that could beat the Knicks, that's kind of where I'm at. And I think there is a world, again, where like thing where Milwaukee takes a step back, Boston deals with some injuries,, uh, Miami either doesn't get Dame or like has a guy go out, and things click for the Knicks. like again, fifty six win pace with Josh Hart. Like there's a world where that was for real. And the Knicks all of a sudden are the class of the Eastern Conference next year with everything they brought back um, with their continuity. Like I think they are going to get off to a really, really great start next year and surprise some people. What's the worst case scenario? Uh, Maybe we'll talk about that later this week. But until then, I'm Gavin Shaw. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon on Sunday.